So how many were so inspired by the message last week that you played Monopoly this past week? Let's let's see the hands, huh? Everybody get excited? Anybody? Anybody? All right, we'll work on that this week, all right? Uh, Here's the Monopoly board, and I tell you what, this is, when I dream about Monopoly, this is my dream, this next slide. Isn't that sweet, huh? Hotels on boardwalk. And Park Place. When I played Monopoly in the past, uh, early on I had this strategy. If I could just get hotels on Boardwalk and Park Place, so I would uh, do everything I could pray that I'd land on Boardwalk and Park Place. You'd always get one of them, but it was so hard to get the other ones. So maybe you had to trade uh, some other properties away. And, but the problem with having that strategy, becoming obsessed with that particular Monopoly, is that the other players are collecting other monopolies. And therefore, you only got these, this one monopoly that they hit maybe once around the board, and you're hitting all their properties, and you get slaughtered. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes. Uh, we can be obsessed uh, with getting wealth, like Boardwalk and Park Place, and not have the proper focus. And the main thing I want to communicate to you today is that our world tells us, and we easily buy into, that an obsession with having more and better stuff is going to satisfy. That's what we're told. If we have more and better stuff, we're going to be satisfied. And that's a lie. It's a lie from Satan that he works through our culture. And we buy into it. The truth is, is that the only true satisfaction comes from an intimate relationship, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where true satisfaction comes from. That's what we're going to unpack today as we continue in our series, Monopolized. We want to be monopolized by money. We want to be monopolized by Jesus Christ. We're looking at different messages here. Uh, first of all, how to win the jackpot at free parking. We talked about that last week, the boardwalk obsession. Next week, how to get out of jail. Uh, and finally, managing your go money. Anybody recognize this TV? This TV is a Sony Trinitron. The state of the art. Back in the 1970s. Anybody recognize it? Anybody have a TV like this? All right, yeah, sure. This is, this is great stuff back then. I mean, color wasn't even that old. <laughs> I mean, like in the mid-60s, right? And uh, so when I was a teen growing up in the 70s, uh, my parents had a TV similar. 
out of this of the Sony Trinitron. And I mean, it was color. You could actually, you know, see it. Uh, uh, big enough picture, I think, for me to figure out what's going on. And uh, you get three networks and four, eh, maybe two solid UHF channels and some that were a little bit fuzzy with the antenna on the roof, but if it was worth watching, you'd watch it. <laughs> Not a lot of choices to make back in that particular day. Now, if you're going to ask me the question, Dan, would you be satisfied with this TV today? The only way I could say yes if I, if I was in a fallout shelter for the last 40 years. This is the only TV I had. <laughs> the challenge is... This is not the only TV I've ever seen. I've seen a TV like this. Yeah, Sony, flat screen, high def, who knows how big. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of TV I've seen. Guys, think about this. When, when, when did you fall in love with flat screen TVs? When did that love affair begin? Was it maybe when you went to a neighbor's house to watch the Bears play? And you just couldn't believe it. It was like you were right there on the field. Playing with those players, and you just said, I have got to have one of these. And you made it your mission in life to get a flat screen TV. First of all, you had to convince your wife that the TV we now have is not adequate, even though you bought it two years ago. It's just not adequate. I mean, there's something so much better out there. And you tried to pick out her favorite shows and why she might like them uh, in HD. And so you started to say, okay, I'll sacrifice this and we'll work it in the budget somehow. And you waited for Black Friday, whatever. But finally, you were able to get the flat screen TV. And now you are completely satisfied with your flat screen TV, right? You've got it. Well, maybe it's just not big enough. I mean, I've been over to my friend's house and they've got a, like a, I don't know, 120 inch. <laughs> it's like huge. And, and if we could only, you know what I'm saying? It's being obsessed with stuff. We're always upgrading our lives. It used to be that you'd replace things in life many years ago. Something would break down and you say, well, I've got to have this. It's a necessity. But now we just upgrade things like, barring from the computer industry, that term, we we want something better, so we buy the flat screen TV and then we move the perfectly good TV downstairs to the basement. Now we have a couple more TVs and you can't have enough TVs, right? <laughs> We're pursuing upgrading our lives constantly and we think that's going to bring satisfaction, but God tells us in His Word that you're going to always be unsatisfied. You're going to come up empty. We want to look at a passage from 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy when he was pastor to the Ephesian church, and it seemed like the Ephesian church was struggling in this area of contentment. Again, this whole issue goes way, way back. It's not just the U.S. culture. I mean, I think we've perfected creating a culture of discontent. I mean, we do it pretty well, but obviously this is a sin that goes all the way back to the beginning. So he addresses this particular issue. I'm going to read the whole passage and we'll step through it. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So let's look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Those are two key words. What do you see as great gain in this life? And we buy into the lie of the culture that great gain is having more and better stuff. And it's easy to do that because we get a buzz when we buy new things. Let me illustrate. I'm going to take my shoe off here. Don't worry, I put new, shoe, new socks on this morning, so I'm not going to blow anybody away here. Uh, with odor. But I bought this, I don't know, about these shoes four months ago, Croft and Barrow. And I went to a couple different stores, and I was really interested in this shoe because you can't read this, but it says core technology in there. And I'm wondering, wow, this is really a sophisticated shoe. Is there a chip in here somewhere? I mean, core technology. And I asked the salesperson, what does that mean? And she didn't know. Uh, she. She pretended, but she didn't know what it was. But it's spongy. It's like your heels, it's higher. And, and, and I went home, I looked on the Internet, core technology. They didn't know. Uh, <laughs> people were marketing it. <laughs> but I said, it feels good. So I got my new pair of shoes. And I was, I was really excited. I showed my family. They were thrilled. And uh, so I, I put it on, and I wear it around the house just to make sure that it's, you know, good before I actually, you know, keep them. And it feels good. I, you know, a new pair of shoes. Oh, oh, that is so good, man. I mean, you got so much support, this whole pair of shoes, you know, it's just kind of like pieces of fabric on your foot. I mean, this thing really holds your foot. So you're walking around, and oh, I'm thinking a lot about my shoes. And, and then I come to work, and I'm walking down the hallways thinking, oh, this is good, this is good. And then I come to church on the weekends, and I'm saying, somebody's going to notice my new shoes. They're nice, you know. Somebody's going to notice my new shoes. And did anybody notice my new shoes? I know maybe about three months ago. Did anybody say, Harrison has new shoes? Okay. All right, well, you know, I got a buzz. But I tell you what, I don't get any more buzz from these shoes. I'm no longer impressed by core technology. I'm glad I bought them. It was a good purchase. But they just are there to be used. Now, I take that very simple illustration because... The buzz that we get from buying things, whether it be a pair of shoes or a house or a car or a new outfit or a new tool or a new computer, the buzz always wears off. Now, what happens when the buzz wears off? If you have an upgrading pursuit in life, what do you do then? You're looking for what? The next fix. The next buzz. You're an addict. And America is full of stuff addicts. They want the buzz of buying new stuff because they bought into the lie that that truly is going to satisfy your life. Now, there's nothing wrong with buying new stuff. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if it's in the proper priority list, if it's just something you do. I mean, God gives us new stuff. He wants us to enjoy this stuff. But if it's our pursuit in life, always getting this buzz and 
trying to experience a higher level of life by continually upgrading everything we have. That's wrong. That's sinful. We need to repent of that because uh, we are not in God's will. In fact, John uh, Rockefeller said this, uh, millionaire in the early 1900s, uh, I have made many millions and they have all brought me no happiness. Now, you hear this over and over and over again from wealthy people, right? Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing mechanics work. Isn't that interesting? Now we say, oh, hey, listen, I, I don't even want millions. Maybe just like 400,000. That'd be good. I would be satisfied with another 400,000. Pay off the house, you know, have a nice emergency fund, those kind of things. Then I, everything would be good then. No, not if you have an upgrade addiction. <laughs> Nothing is never good enough. Now let's go back to the verse. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So great gain is not getting more stuff, more and better. It's godliness with contentment. Godliness is being like God. Being like Jesus Christ as He was here on this earth. Living like He lived. Obviously, the only way we can do that is through His power and His ability that, that He lives through us in regards to doing things that we can't do on our own. But that's what godliness is. That, that, should be, that should be the great gain in our life. That should be the focus of our life, is being like Jesus. And it says, with contentment. Now, that was a secular word, a secular you know, use back in that day. Contentment, uh, the idea was self-sufficiency. It was used by the Cynics and the Stoics. It was the idea of a person who is totally, totally self-contained. A person who was unflappable. No matter what happened in their surroundings, they could take care of themselves. They always reacted in the right way. They never let anything uh, get them uh, too upset. Uh, they just had it all together. They didn't need anything. So Paul took that very secular idea, because we, we are not self-sufficient, and he Christianized it, and he said that we are only sufficient in Christ. Our sufficiency comes in Christ. When we come into relationship with Christ, we are now part of God's family. And Christ has tremendous riches that He wants to share with us. He loves us so much. And He just wants to give us riches from all of His resources. Not the kind of riches that we find in this world, but the riches of meeting all of our needs, the riches of knowing Him, the riches of walking with Him, the riches that will transform our lives, will live in a totally different way than maybe we've lived in the past. That is what the riches of Christ are. And that comes godliness with contentment. That's great gain. That's what the Word of God says. The world says, more and better stuff, upgrading your life, that's great gain. No, that's empty. That's a lie from Satan. This is the truth right here. Great gain is godliness with contentment. Now, let's look at what Epicurus said, a Greek philosopher. He said, the secret of contentment is not to add a man's possessions, but to take away from his desires. 
The secret of contentment is not to add to a man's possessions. You see, whenever you add to your possessions, whenever you upgrade, whenever you get new stuff, that doesn't help the problem. Because whenever you feed an appetite, it grows more. You ever notice that? You're on a diet. And, <laughs> you eat. And you want to eat more. And then when you fall off the wagon... You eat and you eat and you eat. And that makes you want to eat and eat more. <laughs> right? Or maybe it's a, a sex. Uh, the more sexual activity you're involved in, the more you want that. Uh, the more you want to look at things you shouldn't be looking at. It, it, it's, it's an appetite that grows. The more you feed an appetite. If you, if you want power and the more power you get, well, that... It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied with the power I have. No, you want more power. You want more control. That's the nature of sinful appetites. When our appetites get out of control. So, again, what the world says is feed the appetite for more and better stuff. That's just going to lead you down the wrong road. You've got to what? It says, but to take away from his desires. Now, how do you do that? How do you take away from his desires? Well, the critical thing is you find your satisfaction in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You get your buzz from walking with God. Now, how do we get a buzz from walking with God? Well, there's a lot of different ways that God blesses us and He connects with us. For example, hopefully a lot of you got a buzz from this morning. I did from the worship and hopefully after the teaching's done, you get a little bit of buzz in a sense, yeah, yeah, that feels good really deep down in my soul. That really connect. God is speaking to me. Or maybe you get a buzz when you go to the small group and you share with other Christians and you pray with each other and you, you process through what it means to live for Christ in this godless culture. And yeah, that, that connects with me. That satisfies with me. Or when you're in your, your daily office spending time alone with God and just looking at His Word and meditating upon it and you walk away. Not every time. You don't always get the buzz per se. I mean, the buzz is just a benefit. But, but the point being is that there's, there's a level of satisfaction there that is so meaningful because it's who God created us to be and never the level of satisfaction that we want from buying stuff. We'll never get it that way. But if we go toward Jesus and focus on Jesus, that's when that's going to come. But the first thing that you need, godliness with what? Godliness with contentment. You've got to have contentment first. Because if you don't have contentment, you'll never pursue godliness. If you continue to buy into the lie and you're not content, you're never going to go deeper. It's much more difficult to, to cultivate and experience this deep satisfaction with Jesus than it is to go to your favorite store and buy something. That's very easy to do. So you've got to work hard at it. But it's worth it because it's the way God designed us. He wants us to experience life. So you have to get to the point where you say, I am content. That's hard to do. So Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So he's given us some perspective here. Okay, so how many have had a uh, child in the last three years? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. got a lot of... Wonderful parents out there are having a great time with their kids, right? Getting a lot of sleep. And uh, <laughs> the Hathaways down here continue to build our church. Uh, <laughs> Keep it up. 
appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> what, six months old or seven months old? Okay, yeah. So just just fill me in. I haven't had a kid for a while. I think it's been what uh, sixteen years, something like that. And uh, do they come out with anything like you're talking about with a, like a gold cougar end in his hand or a money belt or anything? Just naked like they use? Okay, I just wanted to get an update on that. Uh, kind of like a thank you gift to Catherine for carrying the baby, you know? <laughs> okay, I wonder if God threw anything in there. Okay, yeah, it's true. Okay, kids come out with nothing. Nothing. All right? And how do we go to the grave? Well, we can stuff as much as we want in that casket, right? Get the most expensive casket on the market and get oversized and put all our stuff in there, but it's not going anywhere, right? Yeah, let, let's face it. The point is, okay, if you got nothing coming in, you got nothing going out, why are you so consumed with stuff? Because you're not keeping it. And he goes on, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, the Holy Spirit slapped me up the side of the head this past week with this verse. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Well, food and clothing has a little bit of the idea of shelter in the original language. So the idea, you've got, you got food to eat, you've got clothes on your back, and you've got shelter. Uh, you have a house to live in. Now, uh, how many, I hope everybody uh, has food to eat and a place to live and clothes. If you don't, please let me know. I'd love to help you. But I would say probably the majority of us do. And uh, when you look around the world, I mean, there's a lot of people without homes, obviously. Even here in McHenry County, we have homeless people, right? And we look around the world and we see a lot of people who are starving. And uh, we look even here in the United States. There, there are so many children that are not eating in the right way, or not getting enough food. Uh, there's so many people that don't have that, that many clothes, right? Uh, but I think sometimes when we read this verse in America, we say, well, yeah, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Yeah, that's kind of the minimum, God. That's the minimum. But there's, there's all kinds of stuff. You see, I'm a, I'm a sophistic, I have sophisticated needs. Okay? My needs are different than the person that's living over in Africa. I've got sophisticated needs. My needs are higher. No, they're not higher. Food, clothing, shelter. That, that's all you need to be content. Hmm. I mean, really think about that. I, I was thinking about that. I still need to think a lot more about it. And like, wow, I have so many expectations. Oh, do I have expectations of life? Uh, and, and that's the reason I'm discontent a lot, because my expectations aren't coming through. And when I look at this verse, I said, I, I, I should really lower my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I should expect from God, right? Anything else beyond that is gravy. Okay? Uh, yeah, that, that's it. That's all we need. And, and, and if we were really to get a handle on this, I mean, if we were really to think like this this week, I mean, all of you could be content right now. now I know the majority of us aren't, but right at this very moment, and if you don't have food, enough clothes, or shelter, talk to us. But right now, you can be totally content with life. Because you've got what you need. 
right? I don't care what problems you're going through, what challenges you have in life and those things like that. You can be content. That's profound. Let's see what Paul says about his life and how he got to this point. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. You study Paul's life, you would not say it was a uh, a wonderful life. (laughs) It was a very challenging life for Paul. Uh, He went through so many difficulties and problems and came to death came near death so many different times and was in prison all the time. And it was not a wonderful life. So, I mean, this is a guy who's speaking from, again, a very challenging life. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What is a secret? A secret is something that not a lot of people know or not a lot of people have experienced in their life. Now, we've all read this passage before, most likely. We say, yeah, that's great that Paul could be that content. But have we really experienced it in our own lives? I think, again, to some degree we have, and it depends where you're at in spiritual maturity. And what's the secret? Well, the secret's found in verse 13. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Paul was saying... I've got Jesus, and that's all I need. They can put me in prison. They can, you know, almost beat me to death. They can shipwreck me. (laughs) They can do anything. All I need is Jesus. And I, again, the Holy Spirit says, Dan, you've got a lot of work to do. I said, I know I do. Please help me. Wow, if only I could come close to this by the end of my life, having this type of attitude that Paul has. It is a lifelong process, I think, to uh, get to that particular point. Because God loves you, in verse 19, later in that chapter, and my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Again, the riches of Christ. That's all you need. He's got everything you have. You see, again, we want to take control We want to run our lives. We want to dictate how things should be. But who better to run your life than somebody who loves you with an unconditional love, who knows everything about you emotionally, spiritually, physically? I mean, can, can you trust Him to really meet your needs? A lot of us are not trusting Him. We think, God, you know, I think I can handle this and I'll call you when I need you. But, but if you really believe there's a God that loves you so deeply, can't you trust Him to meet your needs? I think we should be able to. But it's a growth process that we have to go through. And what does it mean to be so in love with Jesus? What does it mean to have such a great gain that the stuff of this world is not that impressive? Psalm 63, 2, it says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. Right there. What's he saying? Your love, the riches of Christ in the New Testament, that God's love is better than life. It's better than what this world can offer. My relationship with you, God, the psalmist says, is so satisfying, it's better than what this life offers. 
My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest uh, foods. I'm a simple man. A rich food to me is Giordano's pizza. I love Giordano's pizza. And, and, and so I think about this. Okay, so it's uh, be satisfied as with the richest of the food. So I think about when I'm sitting down. I went out on my birthday and I had uh, pizza with my boys. At Giordano's Pizza. And, and that was real satisfying. Really enjoyed that. But I'll tell you what, my experience with Jesus Christ doesn't even come close, in a sense, to my experience with Giordano's Pizza. It's much, much better with Christ. Right? I'll give up Giordano's Pizza for Jesus. <laughs> That's the point here, is that the experience in life that we have, whether it be eating Giordano's Pizza or buying a, a laptop or whatever it might be, it doesn't compare to my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I still can enjoy food and I can enjoy a lot, whatever, but the point is, is that the most important thing is my walk with Him. He goes on in verse uh, 9, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. People who want to get rich, what does this mean? Well, people who want to eat better all the time. People who want to drive better. People who want to dress better. People who want to vacation better. People who want to live better. People who are constantly upgrading. That's what it means to want to get rich. And really, that is the mentality of people here in the United States. Who wants to be a millionaire? What a perfect name for a game show. Everybody wants to be a millionaire. You watch these infomercials. The guy's always sitting on some beach in Hawaii. Obviously, he's a multi-multi-millionaire. And he's going to tell you how to do it if you just buy his particular program. You're going to be a multi-millionaire. You used to be in real estate. Remember that? <laughs> you don't see those infomercials anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they tell you, you buy this packet, man, you're going to be made in the shade. They, they never would say... You know, if you follow our program, we've done studies. We've, we've, we've tracked everybody who's bought our materials. And we find that about 50% of the people just get excited about it. And they don't have the skills or ability to do it. So they drop out. Another 25%, uh, they do moderately well. They bring in about maybe 60 grand a year uh, from this particular endeavor. And, and maybe there's 5% of the people that really are doing what we're talking about. I mean, really is like unbelievable success. We just want to be fully... Uh, forward with you uh, and uh, tell you the facts. Are they going to say that? Well, of course they're not because our sinful is that we want to be rich. And they say, we're going to give it to you. You just order this and you're going to uh, be a wealthy uh, person. Why do people get into the lottery to win $100? They'd like the $100 lottery. <laughs> no! How about the million dollar lottery? Yeah. And all these stories, you hear about that office pool that won twice, they won millions of dollars, and then they won again, I think, in the last couple of weeks. People hear those stories, and it feeds their greed. We're talking about greed here. I don't know. I might as well say it. <laughs> We're talking about greed. And you can never see greed in the mirror, right? You never look at the mirror and say, I'm a greedy person. No, I'm a careful person. I'm a cautious person. I plan. I save. I take advantage of, <laughs> bottom line, it's greed. 
It's a sin of greed that we need to repent of. And we all struggle with. Uh, so yeah, he's saying it's a trap, man, and it is a trap. There's temptation there, and you can ruin your life in so many different ways. First uh, Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now here's a question for you. Are you in love with money? Are you in love with money? You say, well, I guess we're dating. Yeah, we're dating. <laughs> Remember when uh, you were in love uh, with someone and you did stupid things? <laughs> you drove like ten hours to spend five hours with this person. Didn't get any sleep. You drove ten hours, spent five hours, and drove back, you know. You hear those stories all the time. We do stupid things when we're in love or infatuation, whatever. <laughs> There's differences there, obviously. But many times you're truly in love and you do stupid things. Well, in the same way, when you're in love with money, you do stupid things. You spend money you don't have. You mortgage the future. You presume upon the future. I'll always have a job, so we can buy that and have those monthly payments and those kind of things. When you're in love with money, uh, you abuse people. You uh, do damage to your marriage when you're in love with money. You do damage to other people when you're in love with money. You run up credit cards when you're in love with money. Yeah, we do stupid things. So I, think about that question again. I think all of us, to some degree, struggle with love for money. That's why it's, we talk. God, Jesus talks about it so much. There's so many passages about it because it's such a common sin. It's such a common desire that we have. And that's why we need to continue to revisit this stuff and become stronger and stronger and increase our love for Christ and uh, deal with this love of money. It's a root of all kinds of evil. I mean, you, you guys could all tell stories about how people want money. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they abuse people. And it, it just it says here... They've wandered from the faith. A lot of people get away from church because there's just too much to do because they want more stuff. And therefore, that's more important than church. And they think they're going to find their satisfaction there. Maybe you've come back to church because you realize uh, the stuff thing that doesn't work. I'm going to try Jesus again. Uh, and pierce themselves with many griefs. Many of you could get up today and say, yeah, I'm a victim. Not a victim, but I, I've experienced the griefs that come through stupid decisions because I love money too much. But the good news is that God's grace is always there for us. We experience consequences of our decisions, but God's grace is always there. He brings us back. He forgives us. He restores us to Himself. And I find this very interesting, 1 Timothy 6.11. So he's talking to Timothy there, talking to the church as well. But you, Timothy... You, my disciple, you man of God, you're the one who claims God as your father. Flee from all this, all this love of money and all this desire for more. 
flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's what your life should be about. Pursuing Jesus Christ, enabling Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to produce righteousness in your life and godliness in your life and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. That's what you, your life should be all about. Don't, don't spend hours on the internet looking for stuff and, and, and wandering through the malls and uh, Algonquin Commons or whatever. It takes that time that you're just looking for things to fulfill your desires and take it to pursue Jesus. To know Him better. To create a relationship with Him and do this. What I find interesting is uh, verse 11, But you, man of God, flee. Flee from all this. Flee from the love of money. Now, we've heard in the Scriptures it says, flee from sexual sin. That makes a lot of sense to me. If I'm in a compromising situation or I'm in a situation where I might be tempted to have an inappropriate sexual relationship, hey, I need to flee. I need to run. I need to get out of there. Okay? Uh, if, if, if we're looking at inappropriate materials on the laptop, throw the laptop out the window. <laughs> I mean, deal with the issue of pornography in your life. That makes sense to me. But it's interesting. He says, flee from the love of money. That sounds like a slow cooker to me. It's kind of like, okay, I'll do a study on the love of money and see if there's anything I should do differently. No, what he's saying is, is that this is such a critical issue, you need to do something today. Today, January 15th, 2012, you don't wait for tomorrow. If you're in a burning building, you don't say, well, I'll wait it out here and see what happens. Uh, maybe tomorrow I'll leave. No, you get out right now, you flee. So I'm telling you, God's telling you to flee. To move, to make a decision, to change your ways, to repent, to turn around. So what does that look like? Well, here are some ideas that I thought of. Stop pursuing, stop pursuit of something. Maybe there's something that you've been thinking about all message because I brought all this stuff up, so you haven't been listening to me. You've been thinking about this one thing that you want, and you're thinking, okay, how can I get it? How can I convince my wife or my husband that I get it? And I'm going to go, I'm going to go out there today and look at it. You know, I'm going to go out to that store and look at it. You know, just say stop. Do I really need this thing? And send a message to yourself. Send a message to God. It's not about this stuff. And I really, really want this thing. And I think I have the money to buy it. But I'm just going to stop pursuing it. I'm just going to stop it. And I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to pursue you instead of that. Or maybe sell something. Maybe you bought something in this last year that was just a pure want. You didn't need it. You're worshiping it. That's why you bought it. Because you thought it could satisfy your needs. And you need to sell it. Well, I don't need to sell it. I own it. But you need to sell it. That's right. You need to flee. You need to do something today to show God you're serious about this. So put it on eBay. Put it on Craigslist. Slow. Even better, sell it at a loss. You're going to sell it at a loss anyway. But sell it at a real loss. Give it away. What are you talking about? I spent money on that. Yeah, give it away. That's how you flee. You take immediate, drastic action. Meditate on contentment. This week you say, okay, all week long I'm going to think about contentment. And so when I go to my car and I look at all the other cars in the parking lot, I'm going to say, oh, no, here's a better idea. Okay, go to your favorite store. Okay? Go to your favorite store, whatever that store is. 
And I just want you to walk through the store very slowly. I want you to look at everything that, that appeals to you and really look at it. Say, oh, that's really nice. Oh, I'd love to have it. Oh. And think about it. Then stop and say, but you know what? I got everything I need. And keep walking. And maybe spend, I don't know, 15 minutes, a half hour. And just walk out of that store without one thing in your hand. And you say to God, God, I got everything I need. I don't need anything in that store. Because I got you. That's fleeing. That's fleeing. And pursue whatever God's put on your heart. How do you need to get closer to Him? Where do you need to really put some energy into a sinful area in your life? Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Flee. Immediate and drastic action. I was talking to somebody, I don't know if it was before this service or the other service, and they said, yeah, you got me last week. I was looking for cars at a 2001, and I'm not looking anymore. That is fleeing. That's immediate and drastic action. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You uh, for the power of Your Word. Boy, Lord, I tell You, the Holy Spirit, He worked me over. And I pray that He worked my friends over here too. Because we all have issues in this area. I pray that we would pursue You. I pray that we would shout back at commercials and say, You're lying to me. You're lying to me. I am not needing I don't need what you're trying to sell me. But I got everything I need in Jesus. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, we could have ushers come forward at this time to uh, gather our offerings together. I want to give you an update on our year end offering for two thousand eleven. Uh, again a summary here. We were seeking uh, to give together to the Lord twenty thousand dollars. For two purposes, the Wayside Center, which is a day shelter for homeless people, uh, 5000 and then 15000 for Jeff Osborne's salary uh, support. So, just some quick pictures of the uh, Wayside Center. Uh, this is a day shelter down in Elgin, and uh, guys hang out here, and women, and they teach them the Word of God, and disciple them, and they feed them, and also, they have a computer center to help them to upgrade their skills. Well, uh, it's very old and outdated. And so we call them and say, what do you need? We want to bless you. We want to give to the Lord and bless your mission. So I said, we need a new computer setter. And so how much? 5000 Okay, all right. That's what we're going to ask the Lord for. All right. The second thing was Jeff Osborne's salary support. Jeff Osborne joined our team uh, this fall as our full, first uh, full-time worship director. Uh, we just appreciate him so much, and he's brought so much to our worship ministry. But he came on faith. And he said, Jeff, you know, we're in a tough financial situation here at Springbrook, and uh, we would love to have you, and we're going to do everything we can. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we can pull this off, but I, I'm not positive. I'm having faith in God. And so I said, he said, I'll have faith in God too. So the first step of doing this, we said, okay, we're going to raise some money. Uh, we're going to have people give money uh, to this offering to the Lord in order to pay uh, for your salary support, uh, part of it. And so uh, we did that. So, we're, okay, Lord, we want $20,000 uh, in order to give to you in your ministry. Let's see what happened here. Roll the numbers. All right. How do you like that, huh? Praise God. Oh, isn't that exciting? Huh? What, what, what that says is that, that you are filled with generosity. 
And you love God. You love this ministry. You, you love the fact that we can give to a homeless center. And you love Jeff and, and Tabby and Gavin and, and their family. And, and, and you just want to be a part of what our mission is together. That's such an encouragement to me. It should be an encouragement to you. I want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, we're going to have a generosity initiative that we're going to be talking a lot about in a month or so. And we're going to explain how over the next two years we're going to deal with uh, the financial challenges that we have uh, through uh, giving. And uh, I just have all the confidence that God is going to provide for our ministry. And this is the first step. And I rejoice and I give all the glory to Him.